tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party. Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free comedy to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. This is My Kind of Weird, a podcast where two people pitch and swap three kinds of media, something watchable, something readable, and something listenable, to see if each person says at the end of the pod, that's my kind of weird. I'm your host, Anthony Pollock, and today I am joined by comic book writer, Matthew Ehrman. Hello. Yeah. How's it going? So, Matthew, are you ready to get weird with me? I think so. So, Matthew, present your something watchable. Um, yeah, so my something watchable is, uh, it's a very good movie. It's called Near Dark. It was directed uh, by Catherine Bigelow, which, if you don't know Catherine Bigelow, she is the director of such famous and incredible films as, just. I just want to make sure I, yep, uh, Point Break. Um, the Hurt Locker, <laughs> Zero Dark Thirty, uh, 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 and the film that I'm recommending for my something watchable is a film called Near Dark, which she was actually the writer for, which I didn't Show know. Caleb Colton no longer belongs to our world. We'll give him a week, see if we can call him one of us. He belongs to hers. But you have to learn to kill. He belongs to theirs. I want to kill. He makes a kill tonight. And they all belong to the night. Um, near Dark is uh, near and dear to my heart uh, for many reasons. First and foremost, because my comic, Witch Blood, is very immediately inspired by this, by this movie. Um, and it involves a roving pack of vagabond vampires in the American Southwest. I think it might be Arizona. I think it might be Utah. I'm not exactly sure where in the Southwest near dark takes place, but um, it's, 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 it's a, a, it's an unwatched unknown vampire classic that I would highly recommend to anybody. Um, what, what do you want to know? I, what do you want to know about it? I'm, I'm here to spill the deets. What, what can I do to sell you on, on, on this, uh, on this great film? I mean, I, I haven't watched it cause I couldn't find it anywhere. Um, on that's streaming services, which I feel is the real downfall of streaming services. It's not finding those, it's those gems just aren't on there. But I mean, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm honestly a little surprised it's not anywhere on on streaming services. You might have to find it on. I have a copy on DVD. That's uh, what is the that? old. I know. Uh, uh, that's I, I bought my. Are you just saying letters at me now? <laughs> yeah, Matthew. Like what? Uh, is this? <laughs> I, I, when I bought my copy, probably twelve years ago. That's when I found out about this film. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's I, 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 I show it to everybody who's interested. It's 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 absolutely fantastic. I mean, the cast from top to bottom. Well, not necessarily from the top. The top has two kind of 
uh, not necessarily no names, but lesser named individuals. But really, the main selling point is this is Lance Hendrickson and Bill Paxton, yes. literally right after uh, Aliens. So um, I was wondering if that that came out before or after. So that, it, that makes I think sense. It came, yeah, I think it came out right. Right before or it's like right before or right after, because I remember watching the DVD commentary that had something to do with um, James Cameron was like borrowing actors from this film or this film was borrowing Cameron's or borrowing actors from Aliens. So um, great cast. I think one of Bill Paxton's best performances uh, wow. for those that ha- for praise. those uh, for those that have been reading Witch Blood. Uh, the main vampire in Witchblood is 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 named after uh, Bill Paxton because of this movie. Um, so uh, you didn't a lot call of him Bill Paxton, did you? No, his his first name is actually Paxton. Just uh, <laughs> uh, uh, nice. that's a nice but connection. It's a nice connection. I, I I try I try to make it obvious so people know. You know, I'm not outright lifting things. Mm-hmm. There's so many, like, there's so many good character actors in this. I'm just looking at the the Wikipedia now. Oh yeah, you've got like uh, Jeanette Goldstein uh, or Goldstein. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got like Adrian Pastar, who has played. Um, apparently, he's, I've heard that he's the nicest guy, but he always plays the absolute bastards on film and TV. So um, yeah, I remember. Uh, I, I remember liking him on Heroes when that was airing. Yes, yes. decades ago. Um, yeah. that's actually, I think that's how I knew about this film. Cause I'd be, I, 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 I think I liked him on heroes and I looked at filmography cause I was like, what the hell else is this guy been in? And this movie came up. I can't remember how this movie came into my purview, but like any great thing, it just kind of mysteriously appeared. Yeah. Yeah. He was even in, um, Agents of Shield more recently as well. So, oh, um, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, he played um, you know, the character Graviton. Um, so he yeah uh, he he plays like this uh, this sort of this general uh, uh, Talbot. His name is that eventually turns into uh, Graviton. And uh, yeah, he's uh, I don't know. Uh, he he just plays uh, some amazing. He's a great character actor. I feel, and I, I was just really surprised when I had a look at this. I really need to find this film somewhere. I might search for one of those. What do you call it? DVDs. Yeah, DVDs. <laughs> All right, so my something watchable is Army of the Dead. You ready to play? There's $200 million in the vault beneath the strip. With a 32-hour window to get it out. Find the safe. This should be a simple in and out. It's not too late to go back. I feel like some people may have seen this little indie film that was released this year. Um, so <laughs> have you seen Army of the Dead yet, Matthew? I did. I have opinions, but I won't let that spoil <laughs> your pitch. Well, that can come after the pitch. So Army of the Dead, as much as I guess there's people sort of uh, shit-talking Army of the Dead, I found it really kind of fun. I just—it's kind of just ridiculous in all, 
I guess, meanings of the word. It's it's uh, it's basically a heist movie where these um, in kind of like a zombie apocalypse where they go into this city that is where all the zombies are and they try to get this money out, which is millions and millions of dollars. Um, but in doing so, the sort of the team that is part of the heist, they gradually get picked off one by one. Um, it's But that, I say zombies, but... I guess it's never really clear if they're zombies or vampires because it they kind of seem to uh, I guess be both almost at the same time in 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 sort of a weird way, um, and uh, I guess uh, for me it's just uh, is a great time for this movie to be released because it's just uh, it's for me it's just a lot of stupid fun. I um, feel like. Zack Snyder's big blockbusters, they have this this sort of this kind of um dark and foreboding a sort of undertone or overtone uh, most of the time. And I guess this was just a just a nice little pleasant surprise. Thoughts? Yeah, no, the uh so I had opinions on Army of the Dead. Uh so I mean I I thought it was fun. I agreed with you on the fun aspects of it. Um, but I just, I also thought it was a little too dour. Like it was a big old bummer of a movie though. Right. Oh, okay. In, in what way? In, uh, well, not to spoil anything. Cause, uh, I mean, the ending's definitely a bummer. Um, and then, you know, within the first 15 minutes, there's a, there's a wife that gets, Murdered because of the zombie situation. Um, yeah. Dave Batista's is crying all the time. I feel like he's crying through <laughs> most of the movie. Uh, it's just a, it's just a, it's, it's a hey, very. Men can cry too. Hey, it's a good <laughs> shtick. I, 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 I don't blame you uh, for, for, for picking it. Um, I'm trying to think, you know, I think I honestly enjoyed maybe the I, I think the first 30 minutes are probably my favorite out of the whole film. I'm, I, I, yeah. I, I, I definitely give kudos to Zack Snyder for uh, really going big. I feel like this is yeah. the, the, the biggest swing um, that he's done, which is weird to say, considering he just came off like a four and a half hour superhero movie. But um, but yeah. I don't know. I, um, I don't know about Army of the I, Dead. I, I mean, I see where people uh, see why people don't like it. Sometimes they're just the large, grandiose sort of testosterone fueled film just isn't enough for some people. But I feel like um, that's all it is for me. It's not trying to be anything. It's not. Um, I had a friend who said to me, uh, "We're talking about this online." He's like, right. he, didn't really he felt that the film had sort of this i guess this unrequited arrogance about it in terms of not feeling like it needs to go certain places with different characters um uh, i don't mind that uh so much i mean you're probably right the dave patista crying all the time is probably probably a bit much <laughs> yeah dave dave patista dave dave patista cries way too much in that film uh and you know, I think, uh, you know, Zack Snyder coming off of uh, Justice League, which way too long, didn't enjoy it. I'll, I'll just be frank about it. I thought it was a big old pile of poop. Um, and I, I, I just I just uh, 
I don't know. You know, I like my zombie movies with a little bit taking. Well, but there it is, though. Army of the Dead. It also t- it doesn't take itself too seriously, and uh, it's hard. It's hard to hate on it, and it's hard to dislike it. But I, <laughs> just of I all think those I, reasons. I think I dislike it. <laughs> um, I yeah. The the thing is. Uh, the not being clear whether these are zombies or sort of they're kind of like I don't know like almost vampiric zombies if that's possible um, if you know what I mean they're um, uh, it's kind of that that sort of that extra step beyond sort of um, George Romero's Land of the Dead where those zombies started to become self aware and those sorts of things and it feels like this Oh yeah. You know Land of the Dead does definitely seem very similar to Army of the Dead. And it almost and I don't want to say it's wholesale ripped off because I feel like I it's 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 tricky because I don't want to poop on anyone's uh uh you know creative vision. But I thought Land of the Dead did what army of the dead did first like what 15 years ago mm. how long did how long ago did that come out i was in my early 20s and i think i'm going to say 2005 possibly yeah yep. yeah that was about 16 years ago yeah, yeah. um uh, yeah, off camera, off uh, mic. You were telling telling me about how the American school system has failed you, but quite clearly, quite clearly, it hasn't. You can do simple maths, so that's that's right. That's true. Um, I mean, that's. <laughs> um, all right, so Matthew, present your something readable. Um, so my something readable is a comic book graphic novel by the legendary uh, Japanese illustrator, storyteller, Suhiro Maro. Mm-hmm. Um, Suhiro Maro is a, uh, I would say maybe a somewhat controversial uh, figure with what he creates. Um, Ultra Gash Inferno is the book that I'm recommending. And Ultra Gash Inferno is a collection of short stories that are some of the most heinous, vile, and despicable things that you'll ever see drawn and written in a book. Hmm. Um, it involves um, everything from, uh, I mean, what's what's really interesting about Suhiro Maro and Ultra Gash Inferno is the the detail and the 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 beauty in which everything is drawn, the care in which everything is drawn, and it's a it's a gorgeously illustrated book yeah but what you're looking at is is uh is you know can be defined as necrophilia it can be defined as like uh uh cannibalism a lot of horrible things happen in this book that that will would probably turn people away but i think it's a i think it's subversive in a way that um other subversive artists can't be so like when you look yeah. at like someone like Gigi Allen who's like oh, this yeah, yeah, yeah. you know the great he the, makes the he late makes, and great uh punk uh outrage maestro <laughs> exactly like Gigi Allen existed just to piss people off and upset people and there was no subtlety or there was no some would argue there may have been no craft to what he was doing other than just the brazen 
uh, the degradation of his body and the degradation of like other people and all that stuff. And he was all about that. What, what Sahiro Morrow does is he takes those sensibilities that are very taboo. Like some of the most taboo things that you can honest, like legit, I'm uncomfortable saying some of the things that happen in this book. And uh, he takes them and he presents them in a way that kind of removes their tabooness by, by the technical craft of what he's doing. I mean, um, uh, it's, 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 it, it's hard to wrap your mind around someone spending so much time illustrating this story about this guy who eats a baby. And it's like pretty intense about the baby eating guy. And you're like, why did this, why did Sahiro Morrow spend all this time drawing this story and writing this story about this guy who does all these horrible things to this particular baby? Mm-hmm. And um, he did. And it's a really beautiful, beautifully illustrated, horrible story. Um, and there's some weird, you know, uh, uh, you know, a- anachronisms that I really like with that. And um, I also think that, uh, you know, just getting a sense into another culture's uh, views of censorship and what is and what isn't what is consumable. Exactly. What's inappropriate, what is inappropriate. And, and it. it, it, it it's really interesting to, to get that perspective. Mm-hmm. I think if you go in with an open mind, you can, um, I, I think you can appreciate a lot of things about the story and, and the craft and the technical ability and also appreciate the creativity that it takes and the, you know, t- to do something like this as well as he did. The brazenness behind it. Yeah. It's like, um, it's like, what if, I mean, I, you know, honestly, the, the the best way to describe it is if you're looking at classic paintings or, or paintings from antiquity, which depict like, you know, the beheading of uh, of uh, Judith beheading Holofernes, which is like, you know, it's depicting decapitation, but it's, you know, Caravaggio drew it and it's like it's a beautiful painting. Yeah, um, I think that's kind of in the same vein as something like Suhiro Maro, where you're you're looking at something that's that's pretty horrible, but it's done in a way that you can kind of appreciate the craft and the, the beauty of it in a weird way. I mean, I guess it's worth saying as well, um, Sahiro Maro's, um, his, uh, I guess, chaotic style is one thing to mention is, uh, not sure if you're a fan of John Zorn, this kind of, is this create... Uh, chaotic avant-garde musician yeah the musician yeah 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 Yeah. naked city yeah yeah yeah. so obviously he used uh sahiro's illustrations for uh the naked Mm -hmm. city album so um i'm curious as to how how your brain would work in terms of processing listening to naked city whilst reading (laughs) this graphic novel I mean, I'm, I feels like the most, uh, conducive way to experience both. (laughs) If I'm being totally honest with you, I think you put it, you just put naked city on you, you you get your record if you've got one and you put it on in the background and you just flip through the book and read it. I think that would probably really fuck you up for a little bit. Um, uh, in like the best way possible. Yeah. A hundred percent. Now my something readable 
is by Maria Lovett and it is called Luna. Well, we'll talk about the entire Luna series, but I specifically wanted to talk about the first issue of Luna. More from a sort of a stylistic point, I really love uh, Maria Lovett's, I guess, artwork. It's just, it's so... Mm -hmm vivacious and it's uh quite um unapologetically feminine it's uh so there's this sort of kind of dark eroticism to it it's um yeah it's a gorgeous book it's a gorgeous book um i don't know maria love it i don't know if i'll ever get here on get her on this podcast but um it it kind of feels that the the art is very sort of um acid inspired um mm-hmm. it uh, or lsd inspired so i don't know if sort of uh the 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 sort of the um uh rock albums of the 60s and 70s were what kind of inspires this style but um it's uh it's incredible um for those who um uh, don't know her by name but might know her of uh, other work she's done she also worked on faithless which is a mm-hmm. uh, i guess a, an adult erotic comic so um and she's also a i guess a boom studios alumni um which you by this point uh matthew you're pretty much the boom studios um boy wonder aren't you <laughs> I mean, I I don't necessarily I don't know if I would call myself a boy wonder. I think that title probably goes to you know James Tinian or yeah, yeah. Or, uh, or someone like that. But I but I but I have had a lot of uh, great 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 experiences at Boom so far. I've got uh, original series coming out this month actually at the end of this mm. month um, called Good Luck. So uh, Boom's a great place. They're doing amazing stuff. Now, Matthew, present your something listenable. What was my something listenable? Oh, it was uh, Seek Shelter by Ice Age. It's a newer album. Uh, just came out, I want to say, about a month ago. I'm always on the up and up when it comes to new releases. I try to follow music as it goes all sorts of different ways. Okay. Ice Age has been a Ice Age has been a cool band from I think they're from Denmark. Uh, that have been been in the rotation for a little bit. Uh, I've known about them for a couple years. Um, And this album, Seek Shelter, I think is their first one that I would recommend to... Well, actually, no. I think their last album, Beyondless, was also pretty accessible. Um, But Seek Shelter, there's... uh, It's it's everything. It's existential Danish, uh, you know... Uh, post-punk uh, sad music that's also really fucking grooving and hard and like it hits all it hits all the right notes it's a beautiful beautiful album what a Um, really, really love it. I, I highly recommend it. If, if if you like, um, kind of the old, uh, like refused or, yeah, okay. nice. uh, cir- circle takes the square. Um, not, not so much that, but a little bit actually, 
uh, kind of the late '90s emo punk scene. You'll definitely dig this. I think it's good. It definitely is the throwback to uh, uh, that kind of sensibility, that kind of style, while also still being pretty unique. Okay. Um, on the, on the flip side, I have heard from my friends that they are terrible live. So, oh. um, <laughs> but but that doesn't that doesn't take away from how good they are. Honestly, you can be terrible live and. Right, you can be terrible album. live and still be. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, so, but yeah, I highly suggest, I highly recommend Seek Shelter by Ice Age. It's a great album. It's, the style is, it's almost very Australian in, in its mm-hmm. very sort of energetic pub rock in a way. In a way. And uh, mm-hmm. I guess Australia has definitely coined the phrase pub rock because that's where how a lot of our bands um, who are now uh, quite old and decrepit started. And um, there's something about this. It sounds sort of very sort of late 80s, early 90s. Um, it wouldn't even surprise me if they, if they, you know, bands like You or My influenced them or even sort mm-hmm. of earlier sort of punk groups that influenced them. But uh did you say you am I? You am I? I've never heard of that band. Yeah, it's uh, they're not a favorite of mine, uh, admittedly. But um, uh, there's there's uh, there's quite a. Um, it also kind of a little bit remind me of the Datsuns, which are a New Zealand band, mm. uh, which are just high energy, aggressive rock. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I I didn't. Mind yeah, that. no, that's a good way to put it. Very high energy. If you like at the drive-in, you'd probably really like yes. it. If you like yeah. um, love at, uh, at the drive-in relationship of command, definitely on on the yeah. rotation. So my something listenable is Father Fucker <laughs> by Peaches. I'm the kind of that you wanna. 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 Have you heard Father Fucker? I have. It was actually it was really fun to uh, to get to go back and re-listen to this. I haven't listened to it in a in a in a while, uh, and it was nice to uh, (laughs) just remind myself that this exists. It's good. It's really weird, and it's really good. So my first introduction to Peaches was a song uh, off this album called "Kick It," which uh, guests Iggy Pop, and it's just this. Just this old school, dirty punk rock song, um, almost an anthem, and it's just it's just uh, lots of fun. I was lucky enough to see Peaches on this tour, and oh boy, I've never seen that many vaginas displayed um, <laughs> on uh, viewing screens in my life. Nothing wrong with that, but um. <laughs> um I yeah, there's there's just um something about uh, I guess artists like this that just uh, they just have no fucks given when it comes to what they do. They just they they wear their sort of their their style and what they're about on their sleeve. And I feel that Peaches really does this. Um, uh, sadly, I feel like the rest of the Peaches sort of uh, I guess uh, discography is kind of. 
descended more into the electro side and admittedly there was electro in this but or electro punk but um uh yeah uh, if anyone was to ever get into peaches i would say start with father fucker yeah i um you know going back and listening to that it, it honestly reminded me of some other uh contemporaries like uh Ladytron. Oh, yeah, it yeah. brought to mind Ladytron. Yeah. Brought to mind uh, Goldfrap. I, I I I didn't listen to too much Goldfrap, but when I did, it it kind of it kind of hit the same spots. Um, yeah. Uh, it's kind of that early two thousands phase where there are lots of bands, sort of, and artists, sort of going. All right, electro is here. It's here to stay. What can I do as an artist to sort of integrate it into my style? And I mean, Goldfrap is yeah. one of them, and Peaches is definitely one of them. Uh, yeah, I think um, you know I'm very big into music. I, I I think that you can almost pinpoint that to the 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 popular the immediate popularity of like Aphex Twin. Yes, in like the yeah. mid '90s, how that started to get radio play, and yeah. I think that influenced a lot of those early 2000s bands yeah. that. Um, started to incorporate or started to do electronic music. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, sidebar, I recently discovered, and I've been listening to Aphex Twin for around 15 years, so quite a while. I only recently discovered that it's uh, Aphex Twin and not Apex Twin. For some reason, I always thought it was Apex Twin. Um, pronounce that. Well, I know how it's that spelled, H- but um, uh, I, I that don't H- know, I don't know sound, why. You know? I just, uh, yeah, but there's plenty of bands and artists out there that don't <laughs> uh, sound things out phonetically, so I, I don't know For why. For sure. So, um, uh, yeah, especially um, uh, Come to Daddy. Um, that's it. Oh that, yeah, that, that was. Of, I mean, that got radio. I, I don't know if that got radio play, but I remember watching the videos as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, oh man, I love that track. That kind of that death metal satirical electro song. It's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Matthew. Let's do the verdicts. So, Matthew, out of my picks, were any of them your kind of weird? Uh, definitely, Luna. Number one is definitely my kind of weird. Uh, love the artwork. Uh, love the 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 kind of sixties vibe of it. Mm-hmm. Um, love the acid LSD inspired like visuals. Um, uh, very into that. I've had experience with that myself, and they see they they, they felt pretty authentic, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, um, I also got to say, Peach's Fatherfucker is uh, my kind of weird as well. Uh, great album, great band. And two words you never thought would be mentioned so many times on this podcast. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, it's not cursing if it, it's not cussing if it's in a piece of art. <laughs> That's my rule. If it's part of the title of an artwork, that it's it's technically not cussing. You're just representing the art as 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 it should be represented exactly that's right and what is art if it doesn't you know shock some people now my verdicts are near dark um that's definitely my kind of weird i'm going to find it i don't care who i have to sleep with to find it i'm gonna find it um as far as uh your readable choice that's something i'm definitely going to have to track down um can you get it on comiXology uh here let me check real fast for you i i would be shocked if you couldn't find it somewhere um let's see if it's on comiXology um 
I don't see it on Comixology, but I know you can buy it if you're if you're willing to dip your toes into the horrible capitalist hellscape that is Amazon. You can probably get it off Amazon, or you can hit up your local bookstore and see if they can grab it for you. Excellent. And Seek Shelter by Ice Age. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. Um, I guess because uh, you wrote Terminal Punks when I first. Mm-hmm. Uh, put this on. I expected a very sort of punk band. I expected something, you know, something rancid or no effects or something like that. But and uh, instead, I got this. So this was a this was a surprise and a good surprise as well. Thanks. Yeah, I um, I I, I like um, I like those bands too. I think that uh, I have I, said this before, but I think punk. And the the idea of it, I think, has truly transcended any sort of music genre. I think you can, I think you can be who you are and be proud and and be very open about who you are. And I think that's all that needs to be to be considered quote unquote punk. Um, I don't think it necessarily has anything to do with the music or 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 any sort of counterculture. I, I, I really think it's just being yourself, unabashedly yourself, and being proud of that, and 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 not letting anyone take that away from you. And I, I I hope that you know people get to appreciate and get to like what they like without any uh, feelings of judgment or anything. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's. Yeah. I think that's the true punk spirit is just like what you like and be who you are. Yeah, and at the same time, find your people as well. Yeah. All right, so we're going going to go on a quick sponsor break, and when we come back, I'm going to be talking to Matthew a bit more about what he's been working on. Hello again, everyone. Producer Andy here once more. The last few times I've asked you to visit sodaandtelepaths.com, the sister website to this very podcast, where you can read all about the latest on comics, science fiction, and horror. I mean, I, I couldn't have been nicer about it. I, I, I patiently explained that at sodaandtelepaths.com you can read all the site's interviews with people in the entertainment industry, along with movie and comic reviews and opinion pieces. But you didn't go. Why not? What do you people, what do you people want? Tell me. I, 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 I mean, are you too good for us? Is that it? Oh, what do you want, oh worthy listeners? Huh? Fucking unicorns? Huh? Okay. Fine. There you go. See? You happy now? Fine. There. There you go. Fucking unicorn. Great big unicorn with two horns riding a skateboard through Megan Fox's bathroom. You happy? Sodaandtelepaths.com. Go there now. Or the unicorn dies. Alright. Okay. So, Matthew, um, we're going to talk about which blood. We're going to get to it. But um, let's talk about what you've done previously. So yeah, dark crystal. That was a whole bunch Mm -hmm. of fun. Wasn't it? That really was. I loved working on dark crystal. Uh, that was my second work for hire gig. That was with boom. And, um, I was really lucky to get that. I, I, I I don't know. It was just, it, it wound up falling into my lap in a very serendipitous way. And, um, you know, 
until I had gotten the email, I had never seen the, I did, I had never even seen the original movie. And when they asked if I was interested, I, I told them very bluntly, like I have no knowledge of this property and they gave me uh, they gave me a week to get familiar with it. And then um, I fell in love with it after that. And, and I immediately thought, you know, what a cool opportunity it was. It's just, um, it's, I I still can't believe it's even a thing. Not, not your, the comic you worked on, but the fact that someone took the idea of puppets and turned it into this kind of expansive fantasy world is just, it's, it's, bizarre um the, <laughs> just it, the more you it think speaks, about it, it's crazy yeah um, well it truly it, it speaks to the creativity of jim henson and brian froud and yeah. and and how like you know if you're given these places and these uh platforms to be uninhibited with your creativity you can create things like dark crystal and you know, it is on paper. It's a completely ludicrous idea. It's a dark fantasy puppeted like cartoon about like it, it. It's 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 as lore heavy as something like Lord of the Rings, but it's it's not. There's no yeah. basis. There's no there's no pre existing text. Yeah. You know that first film is all that there is up until they started to do uh, all of the auxiliary. Uh, uh, stories and stuff in the comics and the novels and then the the, the Netflix show. Um, so it's just a it's I, I think that's honestly what I fell in love with about about working on the Dark Crystal and and kind of getting to work in that world is mm-hmm. the uninhibited creativity that you just are given to you know play around in Jim Henson's sandbox like it's. It's unbelievably cool, and uh, yeah. it's definitely been a highlight of writing comics for me. So from – you said it's your second work for hire. What was the first one again? I did Care Bears for IDW <laughs> for like three issues with – that was – I, you and know, that, as listeners, like, that sounds like a clear setup. I swear to God, it's not. <laughs> it's not a setup. I <laughs> to introduce I did, that, uh, but um, uh, I, I, I did write Care Bears. <laughs> no, that's fine. Not many people do. I wrote, I co-wrote Care Bears with a good friend of mine, mm-hmm. Nadia Shamas, who uh, would probably prefer me not to mention Care Bears. <laughs> uh, I, but you know, it's there's nothing to be ashamed of. It's a cute little story for kids. Um, I, you know, I got to do a signing here or there where some kids were really excited to see the colorful little Care Bears and I signed the book and it was a great experience. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, so after Care Bears, I did Dark Crystal and then I did Power Rangers for Boom as well. Which run of Power Rangers did you do for Boom? I did a graphic novel called, uh, Sins of the Future, which was about the Time Force television series that ran Mm. between 2001 and 2003 Mm. so uh i i forgive you if you haven't seen it um i haven't seen that one but i've kept abreast (laughs) of a lot of what ryan parrot has been doing uh yeah that dude is a monster he's a machine he's he does i mean the amount of power ranger issues that that boy has written is unbelievable so kudos to him and and sticking with it i uh, the fans of Power Rangers are very intense. They're very adamant. They're very awesome about, you know, being with Power Rangers and, and, um, to be, to be in that energized space for as long as he has, I'm, 
I'm impressed because it it's it 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 can drain you with as much stuff that you need to know to write a Power Rangers book. You'd be shocked. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as far as that, uh, the the fans of Power Rangers, I never really got into Power Rangers, but I've um, uh, definitely developed a, an appreciation for it because the the books are just uh, the comics. That is, they're 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 incredible. They really are. They're 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 like just every bit that yourself and Ryan and um, soon Frank if, Gogol is going to add yeah. to it. Yeah, is um, it's it's great that like not only that boomer letting you guys sort of run with it. And I'm assuming your ideas that are, that are obviously, you know, get the stamp of approval, but even that the, that the, that those that own the power Rangers IP are even allowing you guys to expand that universe. So I find that uh, crazy considering, you know, when you go back to the first show, I mean, uh, what's what's the name of the 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 guy that um communicates to the Power Rangers? Is it is it um? That's, that's Zordon, baby. Zordon. He's the. Did you know the the actor when they filmed that because they had limited budget? He was actually in a bath. So yeah, <laughs> really? so his head is actually in a bath, and they actually filmed that and then you know added a you know I guess proper effects to it, but they actually filmed it with like his head partially submerged. So. Yeah, I've <laughs> stuff like that, and that's incredible. Yeah, and I mean, you know, inserting bits from you know various different you know uh, like Japanese um, martial arts properties and things like that, and I just find it incredible that it's kind of evolved from that to what you guys are doing. It's uh, it's really cool, honestly. If I it, you know, if these books existed when I was a kid, I would have absolutely gobbled them up mm. um they're such high quality they're so good they're so readable and they just capture the spirit and the the fun of power rangers um which is cool it's it's cool to be a part of that so from there uh is terminal punks your next thing or was there a bit of a sort of a other thing other projects you're working on between those Trying to think. So um, Terminal Punks, yeah, I think Terminal Punks was immediately after – when did I write Terminal Punks? That was like end of 2019, beginning of 2020. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, because I remember yeah, getting the, I th- getting the uh, review, the uh, advanced review copy and uh, giving it a review, and that was in, I think, beginning 2020 maybe or – yeah. yeah. That that sounds about right because I think it started to come out. I think it came out at the end of last year in like October ish. Right, right. So yeah. So after so after Power Rangers, I started working on Terminal Punks for Mad Cave Studios with Shelby Criswell. Um, She's great. We wrapped isn't that she? like uh, they sorry. and yes, they are. Sorry, uh, no worries. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but yes, they are incredible. Yeah. Uh, Shelby has one of the most, you know, unique styles. Yeah. Uh, and and really elevated that book. Truly, I, I think that um, I think that without their work, Terminal Punks wouldn't have been as special as it is to me. Mm. Um, which is cool. I'm really proud of the story. I'm really proud of the book. I'm really excited for people to you know discover it. It's one of those things where. I, I I don't think it's it's you know ever going to be like 
one of the most sold comic books of all time, but I'm, I'm hoping that it just stays as this little quirky thing that people will discover every now and then and be really, really surprised by. I, I think it's one of those things where, um, uh, you know, it, it inhabits very purposefully like a cult space mm-hmm. where, yeah. you know, a lot of my favorite things are like, you know, cult films, cult music, you know, whatever it is. And that's just because it's it's made for a smaller audience. It's made for a very specific group of people. And I hope those people eventually find it. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you're talking like terms of uh, TV and you talk about things like people love existing IP where there's like Easter eggs and stuff. But Terminal Punks is like a, you know, a, a, you know, anyone who's into punk music. It's like you got little, you know, references and uh, little Easter oh, eggs yeah, all throughout, all throughout of a lot of eighties and nineties punk. Yeah, not even punk music. There's there's references to Metallica and yeah. and No Doubt, which early No Doubt, which is more ska influenced, yeah. <laughs> and like uh, there's a bunch of stuff, and it's it's really Shelby and I's love letter to a lot of the music that we love now, and a lot of the music that we grew up yeah. with. Yeah, Shelby um, did an in- incredible job with just sort of taking the the sort of the the very sort of adolescent feeling of of your script to to a whole new level and i believe they've previously been uh in illustration for children's books not yeah they've done they've done work for the nib they've done work for i i believe children books and uh, they also have a graphic novel coming out as well very soon let me look that up so i make sure to plug it properly um uh, uh continue i have to look this up cuz i'm a, i'm a bum and i don't know my friend's book names yeah uh so you've done that uh you've done the You've done the uh, the Dark Crystal thing. You've done the Power Rangers thing. Uh, you're you're onto Witchblood, which we're going to talk about in a moment. So you're no stranger to pictures when it comes to comic book companies. Shelby's Shelby's book is called Queer Is All Get Out: Ten People Who've Inspired Me. I would highly recommend. Excellent. It. Who's that through? Comes out. Uh, it is through Street Noise Books. Okay, nice, very good. So everyone, check that out. How do you deal with rejection? Really well. In fact, I would say I get rejected more often than not. I think rejection is rejection is the rejection is like the minimum. Rejection mm-hmm. is like the base. Mm-hmm. If you if you like rejection is like the absolute minimum what I expect. I always expect a rejection. Mm-hmm. And um do you see that as as no, just no, a numbers game being being what you do or or do you feel that your uh, your brain is sort of wired to accept that uh, this is sort of the status quo of what's going on and that you figure that if oh. if I pitch something and gets rejected, then I'm closer to the next thing that doesn't get rejected. You know, honestly, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah, I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's a bit of a numbers game because the public, you know, the currency of ideas, which is what we deal in, you know, it's it's so ephemeral whether or not someone's going to like an idea or not, it, it, you know, they could be having a bad day and you pitch them this idea, which is a really good idea. And they just, you know, something about the idea just bu- rubs them the wrong way. And, and, and the vice versa could happen. You know, 
they could be having a really great day. They they just hit the lottery first. You know, they just had a scratch off ticket. They won a thousand dollars. They're feeling good. You're they're walking into a phone call with you. You pitch them an idea, and you know they're just feeling good. So they're like, yeah, let's give it a shot. It's it's such a it's such a roll of the dice sometimes that that you can't be in any way emotionally tied to any particular idea that you have. I, ideas are beautiful and they're incredible and they're the, they're the genesis of all creative endeavors. You know, without an idea, there's basically nothing. But at the same time, if you're too tied up, if you're too emotionally attached to any one thing, then those rejections are going to hit you so hard and they're going to be devastating. And, and part of that is tempering your expectations, understanding that, you know, whether or not this gets published is basically not up to you. I mean, it's, it's really not, it's, it's, it's up to, it's up to other people and, and you can't control what other people do. The only thing that you can control is how you take the, the, you know, the rejection or the acceptance or whatever it is and, and, and learn and grow off of that experience. Um, I've had some hard experiences where I've really gotten my hopes up on some stuff and it, 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 it's just, it crushes you. You go in, you're, you leave a, you know, you leave a meeting really expecting like, this is a shoe in, this is basically 99% going to happen. And then, you know, a month later you get a, get an email or you get a phone call just saying like, didn't work out for whatever reason. And those reasons can be as mundane as we had another guy that had a similar idea or, we had a guy that, or, you know, that just felt this was too similar to this, or this was, this wasn't hitting right. And it's, it's, a it's a hard mental space to put yourself in. But once you get there, it allows you to be really flexible with what you present and, and how you present things. And it really takes the pressure off, honestly, when you realize that any one idea isn't necessarily that big of a thing it's not that big of it's not that it's not super important um so so yeah it's 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 uh a lot of the stuff that i do is i i try to have as many ideas as possible and i try to keep those in my back pocket and um i, I just i just sent a pitch i just sent a pitch today that i wrote honestly like two and a half years ago that i that hasn't gone anywhere no i've, I've sent it to a few people a few editors here and there and an opportunity came up today to where someone was interested in something. And I was like, Oh, I have, I might have the perfect thing. And I sent them that. And if they like it, that's awesome. That means the, it gets an opportunity to be born into this world. And if they don't, then it goes back into a folder on my Google drive to be saved for another day when someone might be interested. Now going back to uh, that, I guess how you deal with rejection. How do you get to that mindset? How, what is your background that gets you to that mindset? Are there periods in your life that, uh, or, or maybe the way you were brought up that have kind of led to you, uh, being, being, I guess, uh, able to accept things the way they are? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I grew up in, in the Midwest here in the United States, uh, in a, in this small town called Dayton, Ohio, that really doesn't necessarily mean anything to anyone. But um, I bring that up because I think one of the things that I did as a kid, specifically as a teenager, was I I tried to find a community of creative people that had the same sort of not necessarily skill level, but like 
I was part of an online poetry forum when I was a kid, and I, I, I still am. Um, and on that online poetry forum, for still a thing, basically. <laughs> um, but uh, on that, on that, you know, I had found a community that I could trust, that I could give, you know, and I was writing poetry for, you know. 15 years before I got into comics. So I was doing that and I had found this community that I could, you know, unabashedly without any expectations present the, these things that I'd written mm-hmm. yeah. and um, they would give me their honest opinions. And, the, you know, they were sometimes brutal. They were sometimes not very good opinions. They were sometimes not well-informed, but you get the whole gamut. You get really informed, really deep, really thoughtful criticism on what you're doing. And then you get somebody that's just like, that was poop. And you're just like, you got to take it. You got to take each one as they come. And I think once you start to realize that there is no singular good thing that you can make like there is there is no such thing that will make every single person happy no matter how good it is no matter how incredible it is i mean people 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 don't like the godfather like there's like you know what i mean like no matter how ubiquitous and agreeably good a thing is there are still people out there for whatever reason it literally doesn't matter that won't like it Mm. And yeah. so part of people who don't like Army of the Dead. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, exactly. Like me. You know? Doesn't matter. I, I think that like I think one of the things that you can do as a creative to get yourself into that mindset and get yourself acclimated to the 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 kind of the gears of the creative process, which is very much about constantly creating. And I, I really emphasize like I am constantly writing and and like I and and thinking of new ideas for comics. That's that's my that's it's my job right now, but even before that it was just like you know, you have to you have to just keep throwing shit at the wall. And I swear it's a it's 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 a numbers game, it's a good attitude game. If you've got a good attitude and you play the numbers, you're going to land somewhere. And if you just keep doing it, you'll 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 find the people that want to read your work. That's all it is, and and that's what success is. I think that you know success is like uh, it's a hard thing to grapple with because it's defined by so many other people, and I think a lot of individuals don't define it for themselves. They let other people define it for them, and I think you really have to define success for yourself. And to me, it's, it's, it's having, it's just having an audience. It doesn't really necessarily matter, you know, uh, who publishes my work or, or, or if my work gets published, but it's just knowing that by creating comics or by writing stories, I am constantly trying to find people that want to read my work and that, that connect with my work. And that's every time I do that, I, I, I'm, I'm happy. It feels good. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's the mind space that I, that I work in. It's, it's not necessarily so much about good and bad, but, but just, you know, trying to present my true self as, as well as I can to the most amount of people that are interested. Mm-hmm. Good attitude to have. Now talking about witch blood, you yourself said, well, 
according to the Hollywood Reporter, said that if you've ever wanted your cowboy bebop cut with the energy of Wild at Heart, then this is the story you've been waiting for. I did say that. Uh, well, it's good to know that Hollywood reporters are um, <laughs> reporting <laughs> verbatim. Um, let's let's talk about that that a bit. Uh, you've spoken a little bit about the inspiration with your something watchable pick today, but let's let's delve mm-hmm. a bit deeper. Yeah, please. Where did where did the initial, I guess, beginnings or rumblings in your brain start when you you sort of piecing and mapping out how this would work. So yeah, Witchblood was a, it's a collaborative effort between my wife and I, Lisa Sterl, the artist uh, on the series um, with colors by Gab Contreras. And, you know, Le- oh yeah, they're so beautiful. So Lisa and I, we are, we're creative partners in the, in, uh, you know, in the best sense in that I trust her wholeheartedly to, you know, create with me and, and vice versa. So we did our first comic book together called long lost back in 2018 through scout comics. And that's, that's really how both of us got started in the industry. Um, and how we started to find work afterwards is people liked our little horror story that we wrote 12 issues of. And so, uh, when we came off of long lost, we really, really wanted to do something different. I didn't want to do another horror story. Lisa didn't want to do something like quiet and introspective like Long Lost was. And so we we started to really search for the inspiration to do something that's bombastic and fun and energetic and colorful and everything that we love about, you know, the other side of the comics medium. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think if, if Long Lost was like our, our love letter to horror cinema and horror film and horror comics and and kind of the black and white manga-esque horror of Junji Ito or the or the or or like Charles Burns's Black Hole you know Witchblood is our colorful gay child that is inspired by everything from you know Jack Kirby comics and to Sailor Moon to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure to David Lynch's Lost Highway. It's all over the place. And we really wanted to capture really what we love, like what really gets our heart beating when we see a piece of cinema or we see a piece of art that really just explodes for us. And, uh, you know, that's where we kind of came into the idea that we wanted to do something with. Lisa specifically wanted to do something with witches and I wanted to do something uh, in, in the American Southwest. And so we're like, okay, well, that makes sense. Both. And then we're <laughs> exactly. And then, and then we're like, let's put her on a motor cycle. And then that, Lisa was like, that sounds radical. And I was like, what about vampires? And she's like, that's crazy. And then it just kept building from there. And then, you know, before you know it, Lisa started doing character designs and I started to write down what I thought the story would be. And, um, after some tinkering and after some talks with some editors, it, it landed with Vault. Speaking of which, they're calling it a modern Wild West road trip, perfect for fans of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and American Gods. So talking to that point, and without giving too much away for the potential uh, reader, what mm-hmm. sort of beats happen in the first issue that would be perfect for a Buffy or an American Gods fan. 
Well, the the story of Witchblood follows a 1,000-year-old immortal witch named Yona and her crow familiar named Boo as they are kind of uh, vagranting around the American Southwest. And uh, through some unfortunate accidents, they find themselves in a small town called Carlos, Texas. And in Carlos, Texas, uh, a kind of convening of uh, forces serendipitously happen in the first issue in which you see our main character, Yona. You, you see her deal with the facets of this more or less fantasy world. And I, I, I really want to emphasize that, too, because it is a very... It's a very fantastical world. There's magic, there's witches, there's vampires, there's humans, but it's, you know, modern United States. It's an alternate, you know, obviously. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so I think Yona is a really fun, quirky character. I think um, the art, if you're, you know, if you love Sailor Moon, if you love anything that that kind of, again, really colorful and fun. It doesn't take itself too seriously, but we take telling the story very seriously. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, combo. I, 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 yeah. So what's uh, what's next for you? Obviously, you're promoting Witch Blood, but beyond that, what's next? Uh, well, this month uh, I have my creator-owned debut with Boom Studios called Good Luck. That's coming out on. Uh, June 23rd, which I'm really, it's two weeks from today, which I'm really excited about. Um, the artist is, uh, 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 oh my God, I cannot believe I'm forgetting. I just talked to him. I'm being such an asshole. (laughs) Stefano Simeon. He's a beautiful, beautiful man. I love him to death. He has done an incredible job on good luck. And um, all of the interiors are are him. He he's doing everything from the pencils, the inks, to the colors. Um, so I I really feel like uh, you know Stefano just just has come off of uh, Boom's Mega Man run, oh, which nice. was a gorgeous gorgeous book, super cool, super kinetic, and I'm just really honored and really I feel really special that I get to tell this story with him. Um, and yeah, so that comes out on June 23rd, uh, and, uh, that's, that should be in comic book shops everywhere. That's, that's been my, uh, I, I'm, I'm very happy to say that good luck has, uh, uh, because of Boom's powerhouse, uh, marketing team has, has done, uh, some great numbers. So I'm excited for everyone to get to read it. All right. Just to recap everyone. So check out term- the Terminal Punks trade paperback out through Mad Cave Studios, Check out the Witchblood comic book series, which is starting to come out uh, through Vault Comics. And check out Good Luck. When's that coming out? June 23rd. June 23rd through Boom Studios. So that's it for us today, guys. If you've enjoyed today's podcast episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. You can get all the episodes for free at wherever you get your podcast from. Matthew, been lots of fun. Dude, thank you so much, Anthony. Yeah, this has been a blast. I I really appreciate you having me on, man. No worries. And my final message to everyone out there, stay weird.
tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party. Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free comedy to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads.